Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. It's going to be real easy for the next number of months as we go. You can just turn right there. The last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning again. I... Uh, for me, this is a, a, I love this time of going through. I'm, I'm enjoying going through and studying the book of Revelation. I've done it before, I've taught it before, but every time I get into it, it it's, it's fresh, it's new, and it's a reminder to me of the fact that our Lord is going to return. That someday we're all going to be and we're going to stand face to face with the Lord. Wrap your head around that. Can you see yourself standing face to face with Jesus Christ in heaven in your glorified body? I'm looking forward to that day. And, and really for us as Christians, that's really our hope as Christians. Our confident expectation. That we're going to be in his presence someday. I titled this morning's message. The vision of the son of man. And last week I did an introduction. I really tried to lay some groundwork. Um, for my views and, and how I was going to approach the book of Revelation. Because there are as I shared last week various views. There's different interpretations uh, and I would have to say there is much confusion in the minds of a lot of Christians because people have complicated it people have uh, confused things and made it complicated in many of Christians minds but I don't believe that that is God's intention for us to be confused about this book I believe that God wants us to have a clear understanding of the things to come. Last week's message, which was really just an introduction to this letter, I, I shared that this book is a book of prophecy. It's a letter of things to come. And that's how I look at the book of Revelation. It's not just a historical book. I shared about the various dispensations or time periods where God has worked with mankind in different ways throughout world history, throughout church history. We have various dispensations of time that God has worked differently with mankind. I gave the four main views concerning the timing of the events that we read in this letter. I gave three major views, both for the rapture and also for the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand year reign of Christ. I shared the four covenants that God made with the nation of Israel. Covenants and promises that God must and will keep. I also shared that I believe in a literal reading of Bible prophecy. And I believe that it's the best method that generally leads to a futuristic view. And that's what I hold to. A futuristic view, meaning that the events and the things that we read in the book of Revelation are yet future. 
They're still to come. And we're waiting for that fulfillment in that time that we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. I believe that the scriptures teach a pre-tribulation rapture and that I'm a pre-millennialist in my view of that millennial kingdom. Some believe the millennial kingdom, we're in it now. I see it as future, following the seven-year tribulation period, and we'll see that more as we go through this letter. Look at your Bibles again at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and he signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Keep in mind that what John is seeing here, I believe he's literally getting a vision from God. He is seeing these things that God has put in before him. We finished last week in verse 3 with a special blessing and a promise to those who would read this letter. Look at verse 3. He says, blessed is he, and by the way, that can be you. Blessed is he that reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are in it, that are written in it. A special blessing, unlike any other letter in the Bible. God says if you read it and you hear it, you read it yourself, you hear it taught, and then you seek to keep those things that are in it, you're going to be blessed. This is going to be a special blessing upon you. Don't you want it all? And some of you have even said to me, I have never really had any teaching in the book of Revelation. And I, I think any church that never brings that up to their church body, to their congregation, the people are missing out. They're missing a special blessing that comes from this book. Revelation, and it's not revelations plural, it's revelation is a letter that reveals truth to us about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a letter of hope and assurance of the things to come. Because God has given us hope. Aren't you glad? Confident expectation. It's a letter of readiness and urgency to share our faith. Because the day of judgment is coming in an hour that you think not. It's a letter that should stir us to pure lives, pure living, because our God is holy and righteous, and everyone one day is going to be standing before that righteous judge. It's a letter of promise, so that we won't grow tired and discouraged in this life. He has told us what the end is going to be. Don't you like that? He's already given us what the end will be. 
All you have to do is read your Bible all the way through to the end and you know where we're going. You know where it's leading to. And lastly, it's a letter that we can stand on in full confidence. And it's because it reveals Jesus who is the faithful and the true witness. The book of Revelation is an unfolding, an unfolding revelation of Jesus Christ. The author of this letter, if you didn't know this, is God. God is the author and John was the writer. John was the recorder. John was writing down the things that he heard and the things that he saw. John, the Apostle John, is the writer of this letter. He's called the Elder in Scripture. He's called the Beloved. He was one of the twelve disciples who was believed to have been 90 years old at the time that he wrote this letter. He was one of the, the writers, uh, he, wrote, uh, he wrote four of the New Testament books, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also this letter of Revelation. This was the John that witnessed the glorified Christ at his transfiguration. This was the John who was there at the cross of Jesus. He was an eyewitness of the risen Lord. And he watched Jesus ascend up into heaven from the Mount of Olives with his physical eyes and saw him depart. What a life. And here's John now on this island of Patmos. And, and, and I want you to think about this. It, the time frame of this all happening. It's only 60 years earlier that Jesus saw, or that John saw Jesus ascend up into heaven. And here he is on the island of Patmos for his faith now. It's believed that this John became a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now I gave you a little handout little uh, sheet that has some charts on it. One of the charts shows the map of the seven churches of Revelation. Hard to read, not the best copy even. But you can see in those red dots right there, one of them is Ephesus. And you can see that John uh, here was the pastor, if you want to say, of this church in Ephesus. But all of those other dots, those all are the seven letters to the seven churches. John was also an elder that oversaw those seven churches. And so John had quite the role in what we're reading here this morning. It's believed that this letter that we have here, Revelation was written around 95 to 96 AD. That's around 65 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
We also know that when this revelation was given to John, the church at that time was under great persecution by the Romans. John, in his lifetime, living till, you know, he was 90 years old, John, in his lifetime, he lived under numerous Roman emperors. He lived under the Flavian dynasty through his life. First, it was Vespasian, who was the emperor of Rome from 69 to 79 AD. Then it was his son Titus from 79 to 81 AD who served for only two years as emperor, and he was known for the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. He went in and he took the city of Jerusalem and completely devastated the city, tore down the temple, had over a million Jews killed in that siege, and the nation of Israel at that time was dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. The last Flavian family was the son Domitian. Domitian was from 81 to 96 AD. He was the brother of Titus, and he was the one that had John exiled out onto the island of Patmos. He was one that not only did he allow people to worship him as Lord and God himself, but he demanded that he be worshipped in the Roman Empire as God. It's said of Domitian that he was the one who said that his empire was bathed in the blood of Christians. This was a wicked family. This was a wicked man. And you can see why he would have wanted to have John exiled out onto the island of Patmos. It is because John was bold in his faith. It was because John spoke the truth. And anybody that did that, and anybody that would not acknowledge him as God, you stood to be put to death. And as I said, it was under John that he was exiled out to this island of Patmos. Now, we might have a picture uh, of modern-day Patmos. You see that? If you can see that. That's modern-day. That's the island he was exiled out onto. And have any of you ever wondered what John looked like? I got an actual picture of him. There he is. There's John. It was taken back on the island of Patmos. That's him. You're not that gullible, are you? You're laughing. But anyway, we have John out on this island, just 24 miles off the coast where Ephesus was located, 25, 24 miles off the coast in the Aegean Sea, on an island that was 10 miles long and 6 miles wide. And it was used really as a prison, or a prison for the Romans. They exiled people out onto this island. 
And that's what happened to John. Actually, history tells us that he tried to boil him in a cauldron of oil, and God supernaturally preserved John's life, and because of that, Domitian had him exiled out onto this island of Patmos for his faith, his testimony of Jesus Christ. We start in our text this morning in verse 4, with John greeting the seven churches and then also receiving a vision of the Son of Man. Notice as we start that John's message is addressed to seven churches. That's who John is writing this letter and being instructed to write this letter to. To the seven churches that are there in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey today. And as we get into the chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, we'll be going through those letters individually. And I will even have some pictures to show you of those locations today. Very interesting. I love that stuff. In verse 4, we read, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. I want to give you just a quick glimpse into the heavenly scene. If you could turn a few pages forward to Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, this is what we read. The angels are before the throne of God, and we're told that they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Can you imagine? This chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation has been referred to as the heavenly throne room, the heavenly scene. And I believe it's when the church is going to be raptured and in heaven and seeing this and these angels crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. John's message to the seven churches. It starts with grace to you and peace from God. The one who is and the one who was and who is to come. Which, which speaks and is term, it's words that speak about him being the existing one. And the, the one who's to come. This letter also comes from the Holy Spirit. It not only comes from the Father, but it comes from the Holy Spirit, which is a way that he's saying the seven spirits, which speaks about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. It speaks about the Spirit of God in there. This letter also comes from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. You see, it's not Biden. 
It's not Putin of Russia. It's not Xi of China. You know, it's Jesus Christ. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Amen? Amen. We don't have to, to look to any other king but our king, Jesus Christ. And don't you see, even in this opening of this letter that he's beginning to write to these churches, it's coming from God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son, triune Godhead, communicating these words to these seven literal churches that were in existence at the time that John was writing this in Asia Minor. Look what he goes on to say in verse 5. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. A complete work. He loved us. He, he washed us in his own blood. And, and, and that's not just a past work, that's a present work and it's even a future work. He's washed us and he continues to wash you by his precious blood. Amen? Every single day that you walk in these bodies on this earth, we fail. And his blood continues to cleanse you from all sin. And not only that, but he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father. You see, our lives as Christians, they change. When we gave our life to Christ, we changed. We become these new creations in Christ. Our lives change. We have a different reason for living. We have a praise and a worship in our hearts for God. We serve him and we serve others. And this is a work of God. He's made you and I kings and priests. And then it says to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what the word amen means? We could say it this way. So let it be. And we're going to do that as we go through the book of Revelation, because actually we're going to see this word amen ten times. And every time you see the word amen, I want you to respond, so let it be. Say it. So let it be. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. Very good. To him who loved us. To him who washed us from our sin in his own blood. To him who made us kings and priests. To his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He goes on in verse 7. Behold, another word that actually means attend to this. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. It could also be translated see. Behold. It starts out in verse 7. And then what does it say? 
He is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him. And they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He's coming with clouds. That day will come. That second coming of of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period. And we're told, and every eye is going to see. Every eye is going to witness the coming of the Lord. If you read in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 24, you'll see that this day is going to be a worldwide event. It's going to be unmistakable when it happens. We read in Matthew 24, 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and it flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You've been out there on those lightning storms. Incredible. But just think what it's going to be like in that day. Here's a description of the Lord piercing the heavens and coming to this earth. And all eyes will see. Even those who pierced him. His own people. We read in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. It says, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And then it says, then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his own son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. I believe in that day. When the Lord comes back at the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be a remnant of Israel that's going to be saved. There are going to be those Jews that rejected Christ. There are going to be those Jews that have had blinders over their eyes, spiritual blinders over their eyes, that in that moment are going to have their eyes unveiled as the Lord comes back and intervenes on behalf of Israel, on behalf of them, really to save them from the Antichrist. They're going to look upon him whom they have pierced. Speaking of the cross. The theme of the book of Revelation is Christ's return. It's the end of all things. When you read this letter. And it's also the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth. Wrap your head around that. We read in Revelation 19.11 concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. We read, Now I, John, saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. Revelation chapter 19 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not the rapture, but the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, we read of the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth. It says, Now I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I, I, I hope that doesn't sadden your heart. That everything you have here and everything that's on this earth and all the beauty that is here by God's creation is going to be made new. A new heaven and a new earth. God is going to destroy by fire this time what's here and make a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to be with him in eternity at that point. The book of Revelation is about things to come. It's about the Lord's return. And as we look through the book of Revelation, we'll see, and we looked at it last week in verse 3, it says, for the time is near. In verse 4, it says, who is to come, speaking of him. In chapter 2, verse 5, as we get into the, the seven letters to the seven churches, it says, I will come to you quickly. In verse 16 of chapter 2, I will come to you quickly again. In chapter 3, verse 3, I will come upon you as a thief. In chapter 3, verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. In chapter 16, verse 15, behold, I am coming as a thief. In Revelation 22, 7, behold, I am coming quickly. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. There you go. So let it be. Are you really saying that in your heart? So let it be. Even so, it finishes by saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. And I hope that that's on our heart and minds all the time. I'm ready. I shared with you last week that some of, us, some of us might be fearful of that day. I think that we need to be ready in our hearts and minds. We need to be living in anticipation of that day. Readying ourselves for that day. But isn't that in your heart and mind? Is that in your heart and mind every day? I'd have to say for me, it's not always in my heart and mind every day. I would have to say for you, it's probably not in yours either. But should we be? Should we be getting up every day thinking in our mind, is this the day? Is this the day that we're going to go home to be with the Lord? Is this going to be the start of what we're reading about here in the book of Revelation? The person speaking or writing now turns to red letters in verse 8. It's Jesus speaking now. Look at your Bibles at verse 8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Says the Lord. Who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. And just even in those words. The Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last letter. Of the Greek alphabet. Jesus says. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the eternal being. 
who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, His deity. He's going to fulfill everything that He starts. Everything that He starts, He finishes. We read in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the the book of beginnings, and we come to the last book of the Bible. And God finishes everything that He starts. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Before we go any further, I want to jump us ahead to verse 19 of chapter 1. This verse I want to point out now is our outline for the book of Revelation. I believe that it's a simple outline. I believe it it makes it very simple for us to put these three sections of the book of Revelation into their proper context. Look what it says in verse 19. Jesus says to John, write the things which you have seen. And also write the things which are. And also write the things which will take place after this. Now, in chapter 1, which is what we're in right now, from verse 9 to 20, what we're looking at today, I believe in this outline Jesus is saying, write the things which you have seen, John. And I believe what he's seen in our text this morning is that vision of the glorified Christ and him as judge. When we get to chapter 2 and chapter 3, starting next week, we're going to be going into the seven letters written to the seven churches. Those are the things which are. These were churches in John's day as he was on the island of Patmos that were literal churches that were there in his day that this letter that was being written was going to be delivered to those seven churches. Write the things which are, which I believe is chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. And then write the things that will take place after this. Where that begins is in chapter 4 to chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. To the end of the the letter, these are the things that will take place after this. And we're going to get into that more because I believe at chapter 4, and you can read ahead on me, Chapter 4, verse 1, if you go into chapter 4, you're going to see, and I believe that the church has been raptured at this point, and we're in heaven, and that chapter 4 is what begins the seven-year tribulation period. From chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19 is the tribulation period. Chapter 20 to chapter 22 is going to be a new heaven, the millennial reign, it's going to be the new heaven and the new earth. That chart that I gave you is for a, a reference. As I'm, You can take it home, look at it, bring it back with you. I encourage you, I'll have some more copies. But something to put in front of your face. You can see I've put a timeline on here of end times. 
you, uh, you can see it's broken down in, in ways. And we're going to get into all these things. This seg- so it's going to become more clear to you as we go through it. But I want you to see and I want you to sit and look at this timeline. Spend some time looking at it so that you can ground yourself in the unfolding of these events as we go through uh, this teaching. Remember, John is on this island of Patmos. He's imprisoned for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then we read in verse 9. Look at your Bibles. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Seven churches. John is writing then, being instructed to write this letter. I want you to notice in verse 9 that John doesn't open this letter with John the Apostle. He doesn't open it with John who holds a PhD in theology. He opens this letter, John, your brother, and your companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I love that. John was quite the man. But he just relates with you and I. But we also see and we know of those of us that have labored in ministry for any length of time, wanting to be a witness for the Lord. Wanting to take the gospel out to this world. That it requires perseverance. It's not always easy, is it? It requires endurance. There are many trials and tribulations that come our way. As we even seek to be used of the Lord and to advance the kingdom. And to be a witness for Jesus Christ. There are trials and tribulations that come our way. Here's John being exiled for his faith to the island of Patmos. History tells us, though, about John that, one, he was the last remaining apostle at the time that he's writing. All the other apostles had already been martyred. John was the only one that died a natural death. The other ones all had to give their life up for their faith. We know that Domitian, that he died while John was on that island of Patmos. And we read from Eusebius, which was an early uh, historian and theologian in the third uh, century. He wrote that John was banished to the island by the emperor Domitian in AD 95. 
And he was released 18 months later by the new Roman emperor, Nerva, who reigned from 96 to 98 AD. That's recorded in history by Eusebius. We're told that as John was there writing this account, it says in verse 10, that I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then look what it says. And I heard behind me a loud voice. Can you picture John sitting there at some place on that island? And remember, it's a prison. He's out there all alone, probably. And he hears behind him a loud voice. It sounds like a trumpet, and it's not a trumpet. It sounds like a trumpet. And it's speaking and saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, notice he's hearing a loud voice. And then, and what you see, write in a book. And send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. And then he lists the seven churches that this letter would be sent to. John is hearing, but he's also seeing something in the moment. We're told that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, or we might say that John was in a state of ecstasy or vision in the moment. Where God supernaturally, and I have to make this emphasis, God supernaturally was giving John this vision. In a sense, maybe John was able to completely in the moment shut out all the world and everything around him. And by the hand and the Holy Spirit of God, he enters in and he has what he calls on the Lord's day, this vision. A supernatural revelation from God that he was receiving. It's interesting that this isn't the first time as you go through the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, you read in chapter 4, verse 2, when we get to that heavenly scene in heaven, when we're all there with, with God. It says, immediately, I was in the spirit, he says again. And behold, or I saw a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And so again, John says, I was in the Spirit. Revelation 17, 3. So he, this he here is an angel, this angel carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 10, and he, this is the angel again, carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. See, what John is receiving here is a miraculous vision from the Lord of the things to come. 
He's saying that I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. This Lord's Day, uh, different views. Some people think that the Lord's Day is speaking of Sunday, the first day of the week, and that's when he was receiving this vision. Others, uh, it's referring to the day of the Lord that has come, that he's speaking of. And still others think that he's making reference to the fact that uh, he's receiving this vision, this miraculous vision from the Lord. There's a man by the name of Arnold Frutenbaum who writes much on uh, end times and Bible prophecy. I think a, a pretty respected uh, uh, man. He says of this specific day of the week that it wasn't the Sabbath that he was referring to or Sunday. Uh, rather, it was a day in which John was enraptured by prophetic and divine ecstasy and that he received a divine revelation on that day. It was a day in which he fell under the control of the Holy Spirit and was given prophetic inspiration. And thus for him, it was a lordy day, is how he wrote. You can pick whatever one you want. It doesn't really matter. I just give you a few different thoughts on that. I want you to note, though, as we continue, that John is not only hearing something, but he's also seen something as he's receiving this revelation from the Lord. Look at your Bibles at verse 12. Then I turned to see. You can underline that. I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. So remember John had his back when he heard this voice that sounded like a trumpet. And then all of a sudden it says he turns. This is to me is real like, wow, this is real stuff. It, it, then I turned, in other words, I turned around to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, what does it say? I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, there was one like the Son of Man. Now, the words one like means that what John saw was something in appearance and form. He saw one like the Son of Man standing there in the midst of these seven lampstands. I don't know if I have a picture of that uh, on the screen there. Not a real picture, by the way, but something to give you a visual. One like the Son of Man. And what he saw was the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to his feet. Something like a robe maybe that a judge might wear. He was girded about the chest with a golden band. Which might speak of his righteousness and his faithfulness as a judge. His head and his hair were like wool. As white as snow which may speak of the wisdom and the purity of his judging. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, which may speak of his perfect knowledge and his insight as a judge. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And whenever we see brass throughout Scripture, uh, quite often it speaks about judgment. Brass speaks of judgment. And his voice is the sound of many waters. And it says, like the sound of the sea, it was awesome, it was majestic in what I was hearing. He had in his right hand seven stars, which shows in this vision that the Son of Man had possession of those stars in his hand. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, which speaks truth. It's truth that was coming forth out of his mouth. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength, in its full strength. You've done that, where you've gone out and looked out into the the sky when it's a full sun, and you're just straight on looking at it and it about blinds you. His countenance was as radiant as the sun in its full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Would that be something you would probably do? Just put yourself in the position of John, seeing this vision, seeing what he's seen, hearing what he's hearing. He knows that he's in the presence of the Son of Man, the Son of God. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. He's basically saying, I'm Jehovah. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. As a righteous judge, keep in mind that the book of Revelation going forward is going to be a time that this world has never seen nor will it ever see again. It's going to be a time of judgment. The judge whom John is seeing here before we even get into the seven letters to the seven churches, and from chapter 4 to chapter 19, and what's going to come upon the face of this earth, upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ, those that are his, uh, his, the Jews that have even rejected Jesus Christ, it's going to be a horrendous time. But all of God's judgments are righteous, and they're pure, and they're right. <clears throat> John is being reminded, even in this revelation, that the judge is about ready to judge. And he's told, don't be afraid. He heard those words before in the upper room, didn't he? Don't be afraid after Jesus rose from the dead. 
alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and death. In other words, this righteous judge, Jesus Christ, has the keys. He, he has control over the grave. He has control over the grave and he also has control over the souls of those that are in the grave. There will not be one person that will ever be unrighteously judged. The righteous judge will do it in a righteous and perfect way in that day. We can be assured of that. And then in verse 19, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. That's our outline. You might want to underline that one in your Bible. And lastly, we see the imagery explained here in verse 20. He goes on to tell John, he says, the mystery. Now keep in mind that whenever you see the word mystery in your Bible, a mystery is not something to be concealed. A mystery is something to be revealed. And so this is a revealing right now. This is a revelation. This is an unveiling to John. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand are the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels. That word angels there uh, has been interpreted in different ways. It can be literal angels, which is a very good possibility. It is also translated messengers in some Bibles. And some have thought that the messengers that he's speaking of or the angels that he's holding in his right hand are really the pastors of the seven churches that were there in Asia Minor. So we have the seven stars are the angels, Jesus says, of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Now, I shared last week about symbols in the book of Revelation. I shared about typology and the different things that we see. And there are those things that are in scripture. But this is how when you study the book of Revelation, this is how you should approach these things. Remember I shared with you that I'm a literalist. When it comes to my interpretation of scripture, I interpret literally unless it tells me it's a symbol, unless it tells me of something. But if it is a symbol, like what we're reading here, it's going to tell you either within the context of what you're reading, or you're going to find it in one or multiple places in Scripture that's going to unveil to you what that is. And that's an important note. Jesus is telling John here, who the seven stars are, the lampstands, what they are, he's telling them what. So it's not just that these are, so what are all these things? Well, he just told us right here. That's important. We also see, and it's a, another interesting point, is that the word seven is found 44 times throughout the book of Revelation. The word uh, seven or the number seven in scripture always speaks of perfection speaks of completeness. 
And we see that all the way through the book of Revelation. We see the seven churches, seven letters, seven spirits, seven golden lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven golden bowls, seven hills, seven kings. You think that there's something to the number seven as you go through? The Lord is so incredible, so unique in what he's, he's doing. And as we read our Bibles, it should literally blow our minds. I want to close this morning with some words of warning. I want to close with a warning, but I also want to close with an encouragement. Are you glad that I added that in? A warning and an encouragement. I'm of the belief that as Christians, I've already really said this, that we should be living each and every day in expectancy of Christ's return. Living as if Jesus could come back at any moment. You see, the, the people that, uh, that might want to interpret the book of Revelation, say we're going through the book of Revelation, there's a little bit of a danger if you say, well, I believe we're going to go through the tribulation period because there's a lot of things that I read in my Bible in the book of Revelation that have not happened yet. And by that, I could say that uh, if there's no rapture of the church, then I'm just going to be looking for these things to come to pass. I wouldn't be living in the kind of expectancy that I believe as Christians we should be living in. We don't know the day or the hour that the Lord is going to come back. We need to be living with expectancy of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Jesus warned in Mark's gospel in chapter 13, 32. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house, and he gave authority to his servants and to each his work, and he commanded the doorkeeper to watch. And then he says this, watch Therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. In other words, when the Lord comes back, it's going to be a worldwide event. When the rapture happens, it doesn't matter if you're sleeping, it's daytime, you know, it's a worldwide event. Lest coming suddenly, here's the warning, he finds you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. There's the warning. As Christians, we're, we're called to watch. We're not to be sleeping. You see, some Christians are sleeping. They're completely asleep. When it comes to end times, when it comes to being ready, and it comes to prod. Some are just plain sleeping. Some are sleepwalking. They're kind of halfway there. Know a little bit. But they're kind of like sleepwalking. Don't know, you know. But we want to be, as Christians, we want to have clear understanding. 
We want to know the times. We want to know the events to be looking for, the signs, the things going around us that are just clear indicators that the Lord is, His return is near. And I think we're in those days. As I'm looking at my Bible, as I'm looking at the news, but I'm looking at it in light of the Bible, I think we're living in, we're definitely closer than yesterday. We are close, closer than when we first believed. We need to be ready. We need to watch and be ready. And then I'm going to encourage you with these words out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Do you believe that? We're going to be caught up to meet. Those that are in the grave are going to rise first. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. And then it says, therefore, in light of what I just said to you, comfort one another with these words. How could I comfort you with these words? I could just simply say to you, Jesus is coming back. I know you're in the middle of a lot right now. I know that life is hard. I know things are difficult in life, but be of good cheer. The Lord's coming back. There's going to come a new time. Be encouraged. Be filled with hope. Our Lord is coming back. Father, I thank you for giving us the end. Giving us the signs and the things to look for. No, we don't know the day or the hour. But Lord, with strong confidence, we know that you're going to be faithful to what we read in our word, that Lord, that you're coming back for us. You've prepared a place for us. And where you are, we're going to be there also. And it's going to be in that day that we're going to stand face to face with you. And we're going to actually stand in the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. What you have done for us, Lord, gives us that entrance into your kingdom. Lord, I just pray, Lord, even now for our church here, our church body. Stir our hearts afresh this morning. As we continue on through the book of Revelation, Lord, let it be a tool that we can use to tell others about Jesus' return, that they need to get themselves right because judgment day is coming. And Lord, that we would be ready on that day, unashamed when you return. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.